The word says we're called to make disciples. We're growing in the word of God. Jesus Christ was sent to be our saviour. This is the Bromley Town Church Podcast. We pray God speaks to you through this message, blessing you as you live out God's word. Stream or download other sermon podcasts via the Bromley Town Church website or by using the SoundCloud app. Head over to BromleyTownChurch.com. This morning we're going to start a new series and the series is called What is God Like? What is God Like? Well, hopefully, as we go through this series, we're going to find out more. The object of the series really is for us to discover more about what God is like, to gain a greater understanding. Because I believe as we gain a greater understanding of what God is like, then it helps us in our faith, our confidence, our assurity in him. And so that's what we're going to do. So today, hopefully we'll get through three points. We shall see. Um, The first of them is this, though. God is. God is. By the way, some of my other points might be slightly longer than this, but this is it. God is. God is. When we look at the Bible and what it says, the thing about the Bible is this. The Bible never tries to prove the existence of God. The fact of God, the fact that God is, okay, is taken as being completely obvious and obviously is fundamental for everybody who wants to get to know him. That's why the writer to the Hebrews says this, Hebrews 11 verse 6, he says, without faith, it is impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. We need to believe that God exists if we're going to come to him, to get to know him, to understand him. And that we need to understand that when we go towards God, God isn't trying to push us away. He is wanting us to know him. He's wanting relationship with us. He wants to reward us as we approach him. King David uh, in the Psalms writes a little bit more sharply on this issue. When he says in Psalm 14 verse 1, he says, The fool says in his heart, there is no God. Now, in effect, what David is trying to say is, listen, when you look around you, the evidence for God is all around you. So actually, only somebody who is a complete fool is going to actually say there is no God because there's overwhelming evidence. Now, the truth is we may understand what David is saying, but at the same time, we think like, well, sometimes confusion comes to us. Not everybody holds the same opinion. The Apostle Paul as well, when he was writing to the Christians in Rome, in his letter to them, he said that basically the problem of not being able to understand that God is, the difficulty in comprehending who God is, the difficulty in seeing who God is and of knowing God, that is really brought about because of man's sin. Because man sins and that causes a problem for him in his relationship with God. Paul's message being that men and women don't want to believe in God Because they want to live independently from him. They don't want him messing around with the plans that they themselves are making and the things that they want to enjoy. So Paul writes this Romans 1 verses 18 to 20 where he says the wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all godlessness and wickedness of people who, listen, who suppress the truth by their wickedness. 
Since what may, be, what may be known about God is plain to them. Because God has made it plain to them. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made so that people are without excuse. The Bible's position is quite simply, God is real. He is the foundation of everything and he wants to have a relationship with every one of us. He wants relationship with you. He wants relationship with me. The age that we live in, the times that we live in, however, there's rather more of a general position that God is not real. And in one sense, you are considered to be a fool if you believe in God. It's almost like the words of David are being moved around. And the reason for that is because there's a sense in which science itself has removed the need for us to have a trust in God. It's like people say, we don't need to believe in God because now we can prove how things work scientifically. So in other words, look, we no longer need to have a reference of God, that person who could answer all the unknown. We don't need that because now science helps us to un know the unknown or work those things through. There's a quote from Andrew Wilson, a modern day theologian who wrote in his book Incomparable this. He says, people take it for granted that God doesn't exist. And if you say he does, they will want you to prove it scientifically. If you ask them to prove scientifically what they believe, of course, they are very unlikely to be able to do so, but mostly they will not see this as a problem because the majority agree with them. This is the issue, you see. In our day and age, the majority of people don't want to follow God. The majority of people don't want to come under his authority. The majority of people want to do just as they please. Just as I want. I don't want anybody to stop me or to interfere with me. I'll make the plans and decisions for my life if that's all right with you. I'll take that on board myself. And you see, if we bring a God into the equation, let's gets a bit awkward, so we want to keep God out of the equation. However, the majority can be majoritarily wrong, if whatever the plural of majorities is. <laughs> Obviously, I don't know that one. Um, but they can be wrong. I mean, there was a time when the majority of people around the world thought that the world was flat. That's what the majority felt. They felt that was absolutely right. That's what science at that level had taken them to. That is what they believed. But then there came a time when the majority found that that was not the right way of thinking. And of course, I could quote many other examples of when there has been majority belief that is not right. We need to keep ourselves open to the reality that is around us. In truth, every single person... In the whole universe, well, universe, let's just talk about the world because there's only people in the world. In reality, everybody in the world is just trying to make sense of that world that is around them. That's what they're trying to do. So the people who are your colleagues at work, they have different viewpoints. They don't go to church on a Sunday or something. What are they trying to do? They're just trying to make sense of life in the understanding and the framework that has come to them. Sometimes we can be very quick to judge other people. But they're just trying to make friends. We're all trying to make sense and reality of the world that is around us. Not everything can be proved scientifically. 
For example, how do you scientifically prove love? How, how do you do that? But you know what? Every worldview that people have, it needs to be able to give an explanation for the facts that we see around us, for the facts that we see around us, the things that actually we know and experience like these. We have to account for how the world came into being. We may want to push it away, we may want to deny it, we may want to come up with certain schemes and plans, but we need to make an account. Well, how did the world come about? How did actually that happen? We have to account for good and evil. We have to account for the fact that we have a conscience. And when we have done wrong, there's something within us that it just tells us. And we feel rotten and we feel bad. We have to be able to account for those things. You know what? If only people realize that actually denying the existence of God probably causes more problems than it actually solves. But that's another subject. So look, the Bible's position is this. God is. God is. That is the Bible's position. Now, having said that, that position is contested for. The ground of it is being contested for. Because we need to remember that there is good and evil. I've just said, we, our worldview needs to be able to take into it. Well, how did that? What, what about good and evil? Look, just stop for a second. Do you understand that there's good and evil? Perhaps just have a look at the news tonight, and then maybe you'll be able to answer that quite clear. Of course we understand there's good and evil. There's no question about it. We know what's good. We know what's evil. And we know also that some people's measuring line is slightly skewed from ours. Yes, but we have a comprehension of what is good and evil. Good and evil is contesting the ground. Listen, Peter gave us this warning to the believers that he was writing to. 1 Peter 5, verses 8 and 9. He said, Stay alert, watch out for your great enemy, the devil. He prowls around like a roaring lion, looking for someone to devour. Stand firm against him and be strong in your faith. What I'm saying is this, is that we're believing as Christians God is. He is the God that we worship. He is the God who has created everything. And a lot of our worldview comes from that perspective. God is the greatest thing. How great you are, we've been singing. Because that's what we're singing to. We're singing to God and saying, this is who you are. You are great. So we are understanding that God is, but not everybody is in that position. And in any case, even for Christians... That ground is contested because you see on a Sunday morning sitting here singing those songs, how great you are God. But on Monday morning, when the alarm clock failed to go off, when there is a train strike and the buses are already full or whatever the difficult, or there's an exam you've got to sit or there's an annoying customer you've got to deal with. Sometimes, it, oh, that greatness of God, the fact that God is, it seems like God isn't. And you see, the enemy can use those things to undermine our faith. The ground for our belief in the fact that God is, that he rules, that he reigns, is contested for. Because the enemy walks around like a roaring lion seeking for someone to devour, seeking for somebody to take captive. Now, we know that Satan is the source of all evil. But we also know that he is going to be overthrown. And there will come a day, listen to this, there will come a day, Paul says, Romans 4 verse 11, as surely as I live, says the Lord, every knee will bow before me. Every tongue will acknowledge God. Just think how awesome that day is. Everybody who says, no, there isn't a God, no, all the arguments, all the scientists, all the atheists, 
every knee will bow. Every knee will bow and confess that he is Lord. The fact that God is will be coming from everybody's lips. But that day has yet to come. And so we find believing in God is something that is contested for. The enemy actively seeks to oppose our believing. People don't believe, Paul said, because they suppress the truth. That is, they try to do away with it. It's like, look, I don't want that. I I, want to keep that away from me because it disturbs me. Or I want to keep it covered up. And I said that that is really because people want to live independently of God. Folks, I'm talking to us as much as I'm talking outside. I'm talking to myself as much as any of you. We know there are times when we are steadfast in pursuing the things of God. And there are, no, there are times, we also know there are times when it doesn't really quite suit us at this moment. Thank you very much. So I'll just do what I'd like to do. That moment is a moment of taking independence back upon ourselves. So we, we do know what it is, even if we don't acknowledge it or see it necessarily in our lives. People don't want to ha- be held accountable for their actions because there's responsibility. You know what it's like when somebody starts holding you accountable. It can be quite delightful because they're encouraging. Hey, yes, well done. You've done a really good job. Or it can be really annoying. Well, you didn't do that. Oh, you've missed a bit here. You know when you're doing the decorating and pump, you think you've done a fantastic job. You've given all your effort to it. And then somebody walks in the room. Well, you missed a bit. I I don't want to hear that. Thank you. We like the encouragement. We don't like to be held accountable for our actions. And of course, as I've said, we have an enemy who wants men and women to be fully distracted so that they're, oh, they're taken up with something else and their attention towards God is taken away. Let me give you a quote from a man called Thomas Nagel, who is professor of philosophy and law at New York University. He wrote this. It isn't just that I don't believe in God and naturally hope that I am right in my belief. It's that I hope that there is no God. I don't want there to be a God. I don't want there to be a universe like that. Now here's someone who's saying, look, I don't want there to be a God because if there is a God, then there's responsibilities I have to face up to. How am I living? Am I doing the right thing? Am I following his ways? There's responsibilities we have to live. So many people want to dismiss God because they want to keep him away from their lives. Let me just button it down. Let me just pretend it doesn't exist. Let me push it down. The Bible's position is God is. Wanting to believe in God and live life our own way isn't just something that people outside of a church face. As I've said earlier, it's something that we all face. The issue of accountability is a difficult one. Let me just challenge you this morning. Do you believe in God? You could answer yes if you want to, but that's fine. I'm going to say yes, we believe in God. Well, that's great because, I mean, of course, we believe in God. That's why we're here this morning because we want to know him. We want to worship him. We want to understand more about him. But let me ask you this then. If you believe in God, how willing are you to surrender your life to him who is above everything else? Or do you want to keep fighting for your own position, your own way, your own ideas, your own pride? Your own... You see, it's a challenge for us. 
How willing are we who say we believe in God, willing to come under his authority and allow him to rule over us? Do we want to be held accountable to him? Or do we want to try and get away with the things that we want to try and get away with? When we're exploring the character of God, our starting place is what it says in Hebrews 11, which we've already read, that we must believe that he exists. But not just that we believe that he exists. And that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. We can believe that he exists. Okay, I believe in God. I believe you're there. I can't see you, but I believe you're there. But that's only half of it. You've got to understand that he is the rewarder of those. He wants to bless you. He wants to encourage you. He wants to strengthen your relationship. That is what he wants to do. So he is the rewarder of those who earnestly seek him. He is after relationship with you. Now, in all of this I'm telling you about God is, I'm telling us about things that we know and understand. Listen, I know this, that doubts and questions about the reality of God come to every single person. Yes, that's because of one of the reasons we've already talked about. Because of the fact that the ground is contested. Because the enemy does walk around prowling like a lion. And also our mood swings, okay? We have good days. We have bad days. If it's a bad day, then I really don't want to know about these things, but... If it's a good day, sun shining, as it was on Friday, lovely hot weather, beautiful. Yes, God is good. You know, you go on holiday and the first day is rain. God isn't quite so. In fact, is, God, is there a God? Why have I come on holiday and I've got rain? We know how we swing around, our mood swings. We're trying to understand that God is, but I also understand that each one of us faces doubts and questions. They come upon us all. That is why we're coming to this particular series so that we, during this series, can find out more about what God is like so that we can ourselves be encouraged and strengthened in the knowledge of his character, which helpfully will refresh us. And as I've said, often it's the enemy who's prowling around who was just trying to confuse us and to cause doubt in our minds. Well, what do we do in those circumstances? The psalmist gives us this advice. He says, Psalm 46, verse 10, be still. Be still. Stop. Stop. How easy is it, or rather how difficult it is, just to stop? Just to stop still for a minute. You've got the whirring of life, the busyness of life. You've got the next meal to produce or get the kids doing this, or you've got to run them here or there, or you've got to sort this out, or you've got this client, or you've got that deadline, and now you're supposed to stop in the middle of that and actually say, God, please help me, please calm my mind, calm my thoughts. It's difficult for all of us in the age in which we're living to take that out. But God says through his word, be still and know. That's what he says. So we need to be sure in that. When the doubts and questions arise, one of the things we should notice, even if we don't stop at that moment, is, listen, life is getting a bit too busy here. I need to take some time out with God. And I want to encourage you to do so. Don't forget that James says in his letter, James 4 verse 8, draw near to me, says God, and I will draw near to you. That's the encouragement. God isn't saying, listen, 
Nothing's going to happen. He says this, is, listen, if you come towards me, I'm going to come towards you. Are you sure, God? Just try me out. Try me out. Come near to me and I will come near to you. And that is what we want. So we, we regularly need to take time to refocus, to be still, to reflect upon who God is. So that we can understand that God is. And that gives us the confidence in the rest of our lives. There's an old chorus which I remember, which some of you may know. He lives, he lives, Christ Jesus lives today. He walks with me and talks with me along life's narrow way. He lives, he lives, salvation to impart. You ask me how I know he lives. He lives within my heart. God is and he reigns in here. And what we need to understand for every one of us to be secure and strong in these days is we need that revelation of the fact that this reigning God who is over everything also comes to abide within each one of us and lives within our heart. Often it means that we don't always have the words to express. How can I explain God? But he's living within me. That's my first point. God is. Points are getting slightly longer now, and I thought this would be helpful for us. My second point is this. God is incomparable. Let me read the scripture. Isaiah 40, verse 8. To whom, then, will you compare God? To what image will you liken him? Who are you going to compare God to? Now, I know in one sense, I'm trying to say to you and encourage you in the fact of God is, and I'm going to tell you what God is like so that you can be encouraged. And the first thing I'm going to say to you is that actually God is incomparable. You can't compare him with anything else. So how helpful is that? Have you ever noticed that if somebody's asking, will, will you describe the God that you serve? You go to church, describe this God to me. And so you're sort of like put on the back foot slightly and you're saying, well, well God, he's, he's wonderful. He, he's, he's majestic. He, he's creator. And, and you think like, oh, I don't think I did a very good job of that. You know? And so the person gives you another go and so you say, well, well, well God is good and, and, and he's holy and he's loving. And all of these things are absolutely true about God. But somehow, I know, you switch off. Well, let me describe the Trinity to you. And you think, oh no, what a disaster. I'm going into that hole. You see, when we come to describe God, we find ourselves being able to say lots of things about his attributes, but somehow they don't seem to be big enough. or they, We seem to get lost in the fact because God is so much more than that. And that is really what I'm saying. God is incomparable. When I first went to uh, Uganda... I can remember seeing a tree, and it had these giant fruit, sort of like bumps all over it, big fruit like this. I didn't know what it was until somebody said, oh, that's a jackfruit. Oh, that's jackfruit. Okay, well, what's jackfruit? And on one occasion, I was able to be given some jackfruit to eat, so I've eaten jackfruit. Uh, has anybody eaten jackfruit here? Look at that. Good. See, a few of you have. So you will know the impossibility is for me really to describe to you exactly what jackfruit is like. Because it's like, well, how can I describe jackfruit? Well, jackfruit is, it's, um, well, it's yellowish in color. I can tell you that. Um, and actually, it's nice to eat. And uh, apparently, you get very, very sticky hands when you're preparing it. So as you peel it and stuff, it's very, very, very sticky. So does that help? 
And you can see what I'm doing. I mean, like, okay, um, how can I go a bit further? I'll tell you what, this is my own understanding of what jackfruit is like, okay? It, as you eat it, it's a bit like eating pasta that's cold, but it tastes sweet. I think you can get the point I'm saying. Look, it's, it's almost impossible to describe something to somebody who's never tasted it. In fact, the way that we describe things is we take hold of other things. You see, I'm saying like, well, look, I can't quite describe this to you. So I'll tell you what, pasta, you are, you've eaten pasta. So, oh yeah, we've eaten pasta. Okay, well, cold pasta. Well, okay, we haven't eaten that much cold pasta. Well, hopefully you haven't had to. And sweet, what, what, what's sweet? I mean, is it like, you know, a Mars bar? What? what we get lost in the fact of it's difficult even sometimes describing through other things to be able to arrive at the actual taste of jackfruit. Jackfruit, by the way, is nice. It is nice. It's strange. It's like nothing else I've particularly had. And if you have an opportunity to eat it, well, go for it. Just don't think about the cold pasta texture or anything like that. Just go for it. But you see, when it comes to describing God, every sort of comparison that we bring alongside him is really just, it's just not enough. It does a little, but it, it's not enough to describe God because God is indescribable. We sang that this morning, but that is what he is because you can't really describe him and you certainly can't compare him. Well, look, God is great. Well, how great? Do you know what? Mount Everest, he's bigger than Mount Everest. Wow, Mount Everest. Okay, I've got a picture of Mount Everest. You know, I can see it's snowy at the top. Okay, I can ignore that, but it's big. God is far far, far, far greater than Mount Everest. So you can't even use Mount Everest, which being the biggest mountain for us, the highest mountain for us to be able to describe him, because it doesn't really describe who he is. God is incomparable. We can't compare him to other things. And that's why Isaiah says in Isaiah 40, let me read verses 18, 19, then 22 to 25. To whom can you compare God what image can you find to resemble him? Question mark. What well, can you? Well, can he be compared to an idol formed in a mold, overlaid with gold, decorated with silver chains? God sits above the circle of the earth. Yeah, he's trying to say, like, let's get some perspective here. You're thinking in what? worldly things. You're thinking of the things that are around you. You're thinking of the reference point of your life and how you can connect those pieces together. Let's just go back. God sits above the whole of the earth. The people below seem like grasshoppers to him. He spreads out the heavens like a curtain and makes his tent from them. He judges the great people of the world and brings them all to nothing. They hardly get started, barely taking root when he blows on them. And they wither. The wind carries them off like chaff. To whom will you compare me? Who is my equal? God is. God is also incomparable. And my third point today. God is love. God is love. The very essence of who God is. Is that he is love. Let's read this. 1 John 4 Verse 8 to 10. Whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we loved God, 
but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. The Bible tells us that God is love. And that's not just a statement like a name. That is exactly his character. This is who he is. Okay? Now, when we read, therefore, of what love is in Paul's letter to the Corinthians, a description that, gives us, that Paul gives us there gives us an understanding of this. So let me just read 1 Corinthians 13, 4 to 7. It says, love is patient. Don't forget, we're saying God is. God is love. Love is patient and kind. Love is not jealous or boastful or proud or rude. It does not demand its own way. It is not irritable. It is not irritable. Can I just point that out? Okay, I find myself often getting irritable. At least that's what my wife says to me. Because other people can point out our faults quicker sometimes than we can see them for ourselves. And at that point, we never really want to hear it. But God never gets irritable. Love is not irritable. So when you're irritable, you're not necessarily walking in love. Just pointing that out to you and myself, which I don't want to hear, neither do you. And it keeps no record of being wronged. It does not rejoice about injustice, but rejoices whenever the truth wins out. Love never gives up, never loses faith, is always hopeful and endures through every circumstance. So this is what God is like. Well, it is, because God is love. But God doesn't just love sometimes, which is what we do. God is love. He is permanently like these things. It's not just a feeling. It's an activity. It's an action. God is love. But remember, when it comes to God, it's impossible for us to compare him to anything. So here we've got our list and we're trying to say, well, look, God is like this. He's good. He does this. He, doesn't, he, doesn't, he forgets our wrongs. He forgives our sins. All these little bits. God is far greater than that. His love is far greater than that. It's, how can I describe it? Because he is so great and so marvelous. Let me just go back to the verses, though. It says that we read from uh, 1 John, 1 John 4. This is how God showed his love among us. Because God isn't just those attributes that we read about in Corinthians which describe what love is, which is very helpful to us to know what it is, but God demonstrates his love. He demonstrates his love. He shows his love. The attributes of his love that we greatly appreciate affect us most when it is actually demonstrated and shown to us. In the beginning, before the heavens and the earth were created, God was still loving and still demonstrating that love to himself in his trinity. John 17, 24 indicates this when Jesus says, Father, I want those you have given me to be with me where I am and to see my glory and the glory you have given me because, listen to this, because you loved me before the foundation of the world. There's something that was in the very heart of Jesus that he knew what the love of God was because he'd already experienced it from eternity. God, of course, creating the heavens and the earth, when he did so, everything was perfect. We know that. But then sin came because of mankind, because of our desires of not wanting to live in God's ways but wanting to be independent from him. And therefore... 
because of man's sins, the power of sin took over control over the earth. And the earth that God had created is now under the control and the power of sin. But of course, God acted. And he came from the glory of heaven. And this glory that was known there, it says that God dwells in unapproachable light. So again, this indescribable aspect of God. How do you describe unapproachable light? How do you describe light that is like that? You can't even say God is like the sun because he's brighter than the sun. He's more powerful than the sun. But this one who dwelt in unapproachable light decides because of us to come down to desperate sin. You know the fact that Jesus was born in a manger. Sometimes we say like, well, how did God do that from the glory of heaven to a manger? How did he come from unapproachable light to a sinful world? How did he do that? Because he was demonstrating who he is. Because he is coming to bring cleansing to the sins of all mankind. And that baby that was born in that manger lives for 33 years amongst us, understanding and experiencing all of the pressures, temptations, difficulties, frustrations of life around him. He experienced those things and then at the age of 33 years, he gives his life up to be nailed to a cross. He is broken. He is beaten with those whips. He is scourged. He's bloodied. He's bleeding. He's rejected by those around him. His own friends have now left him and abandoned him. The religious leaders say, we want nothing to do with him. The government officials who could have come in above the religious leaders have left him alone and said, no, we'll allow him to be killed. They have all deserted him. And even his own father on the cross has left him because he's there dying for the sins of the world. If we want to understand just a little bit, this God isn't just love. He demonstrates his love in the fact that he comes to us to rescue us out of darkness and to bring us into the wholeness of his kingdom. He truly was our atoning sacrifice. That means he makes us right at one with God. 1 John 4 verse 10, this is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. And of course, John 3, 16 and 17. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. That whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world. Let me just repeat that. God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. We may come under conviction. That is when we're feeling bad about our sins. I know there needs to be a change in my life. But he didn't come to condemn us. That is to push us down and to make us as nothing. He came to raise us up. Why? Because God is love. And he is always demonstrating the character of love, but the nature of love, but the action of love is always flowing out of him. This God who is needs to be raised up amongst us. 
This God who is needs to be raised up in our own lives. We need to stop trying to run things our way in our own, you know, with our own abilities, with our own mindsets. We need to learn what it is to surrender, to come under the authority of this mighty God. You know, we don't always have the words. We don't always know where to start. Recently, I've been praying, God, please, reveal your glory to me. Show me more and more of what you're like. I know, what, I know very much what it is for the enemy to attack my mind and for God to seem being distant and pushed away. I understand that. So I know what we're facing. But you know what? When the enemy comes in like a flood, God raises up a standard. We need to be still and to draw his presence back to us. That we can stand in these days under his authority. We have nothing to fear. We don't have any ability in ourselves, but we have great ability in him who cares for us, who loves us, who has redeemed us and saved us and set us apart for his purposes. Everyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he is the rewarder of those who earnestly seek him. I want to encourage you. Find some space to be still. Allow God to be God. Allow him to be who he is. Remember his love and his faithfulness. It's not about your feelings. I wish it was because I would find that more helpful because the days when I'm up and happy, that's when I connect with God and everything's lovely. But the days that are difficult, my emotions don't back it up. We have to learn to let our emotions go. This is not about emotions. This is about truth. At the end of all time, every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess. He is Lord. We have that opportunity right here, right now to surrender ourselves. To open our lives up and to allow him to be God over us. So let's just do that. Father, we humble ourselves before you. In your mercy. Reveal your great love to our hearts afresh. Show us your glory, Lord. Father, where we have wandered into our own pathways, where we are resolute in working out our plans and we didn't even realize it, will you please show us, Lord? Will you open our eyes, open our understanding? Will you cause the light of your glory to shine upon our hearts? Will you illuminate us, Lord, in the pathways of righteousness? Will you help us, Lord, with our faith, our trust, our confidence? Lord, will you help us to fix our eyes upon our Savior, Jesus? Will you fill our hearts and our minds with your peace? Will you let the glory of your counsel be made known to us day by day? Will you, oh God, touch our hearts? Lord, we need you. We need your presence, Lord. We get genuinely can't cope without you. We manage in our strength, but that's different from coping. We need you. Have mercy, Lord. In your mercy, Lord, please bring awakening. Revive our hearts, Lord. Revive our slumbering spirits. Refresh us and renew us. Let the reign of your Holy Spirit 
pour out over our hearts. Lord, we all know where we have wandered away. We know, Father, that we are not necessarily in your perfect position or plan. We know you're in your perfect plans, but Lord, we got sidetracked. Please, in your mercy, bring us back onto that narrow way. Bring us back into the pathway of righteousness. Lord, where we have wandered, please show us. Have mercy upon us and help us. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Bromley Town Church. You are always welcome to visit us on a Sunday morning or join us again for more messages here online. You can also stay connected with us at www.bromleytownchurch.com.